This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Historically, I teach through series, whether it's six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it might be. You know, spirit prompts and say, hey, let's spend a chunk of time going through 1 Corinthians 13. And let's teach through that and we'll spend a summer. Or uh, maybe it's this topic or that idea. And I'll do it over the course of an extended period of time. One of the challenges with some of the challenges our church family faces, which is regular church attendance, Okay, that makes message series very difficult because if you only go to church every other week, you're only getting half the series. That's only like listening to half of a sermon. And to kind of help us right the ship a little bit, I'm just going to preach a standalone message each Sunday. I'll look ahead and say, hey, this is where I feel we are as a church family, and I'll teach on that. And then next Sunday, I'll teach on that. Uh, a couple months ago, when we started to think about how to begin the new year, the Lord laid today's message on my heart, and I want to share it with you. It's kind of the way that things are going to look for a little while. And, and, and I pray that, that you can see God's leading in all of that. So as we begin, as I have begun, uh, let me ask God's blessing upon you. And, and we'll dive down into the message today. Let me pray. Father, we quiet and humble ourselves that you would open our hearts and our minds to behold the beautiful things that are in your truth. Jesus, you are the perfecter, the keeper, the walker, the one who has gone ahead. Lead your spirit. Open our hearts and minds. Many of us have come in with the full weight of 2022 upon their shoulders. Many of us have come in with the full weight of 2023. And here you meet us in this moment. As they've shown themselves faithful this morning, as they've come here, would you bless them? Please, Father God, may it be your message that goes out. Don't let me say anything that you don't want said. Lord Jesus Christ, may you become the center of everything that happens. And may we undo and see strongholds shattered and chains broken as people are set free by the grace that comes from you through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, my family got in from... Christmas travels at midnight last night, just in time to hear the holy bombardment of fireworks in Troy. That was, if you live where we live, you know, um, you know, Bob and Linda, they know, Bonnie, you know, it got a little crazy there around midnight. I mean, it was like a whole coffee was surrounded by everyone real excited that the year has turned. Um, good for them. Uh, but we had made, that would have been last night, our third time unpacking the car, Okay. To leave, first we left Troy uh, the day after Christmas. We had cleaned it out. We had filled it full of bags of goodies and clothes and the needful things because we're going to go up to visit family, first in the Erie area, then over in Toledo. And so we traveled up to Erie uh, with all the car prepared and all the garbage cleared out, all the good stuff in, all the bad stuff out. We made the trip up to Erie. We unloaded and, of course, then had to reload because now we're going to make the trip from Erie to Toledo. And when we got to Toledo, we had to unload. And after we were ready to leave, then we had to reload and restack with new gifts and new wonderful things. And so there's lots of ins and outs and lots of ins and outs so that we can make the needed journey. You have a journey ahead of you. And the same invitation goes out to you. Some of you are carrying a lot of garbage. Let's get rid of it. Let's just get rid of it. 
We don't want to travel with that junk anymore. Let's make sure, starting today, we put the most important thing in the car. Let's make the most important thing the center of what we're going to do. Let's, let's, let's build into our lives something that really changes things, that makes a world of difference. Everyone hold out their left hand. Into that left hand, I want you to pour all of your nightmares of 2022. All the nightmares before it. Maybe generations of pain and addiction. Strongholds. Demonic influences. See them resting right here in this hand. Things that were told to you. Things that you've experienced. Things that you've seen. Things that keep you up in the middle of the night. Things that threaten your future. Things that threaten your tomorrow. Let's put them in that hand. If you're online, you do the same thing. Look at that hand. That's a heavy hand, isn't it? Is there anything that we can do about what's in that hand? Everything that's in your hand, I just want you to set it aside for a little while. Give me about 30 minutes and let's see what God wants to do. Because we're going to look at a guy in the Old Testament named Josiah who had a very heavy hand. Generations of brokenness. Demonic influence. Not just a terrible father, a terrible grandfather. And when I say terrible, we're talking about the kind of men that lead an entire nation into destruction. The things that they would worship and the things that they would do. And these were the things that were modeled for him. And sometimes we feel that we are bound that we've experienced in the past. That we will forever be a victim. No way that we can move forward. Now once morning, the first day of 2023, God has something for your right hand that will set you free. It might take a little dusting off. It might take a little reminding. But this can't stand up to it. Not here, not now. Take out your Bibles. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings 22. Through the course of our time, um, I'll read some verses, and they won't be up on the screen. Other verses will be up on the screen. I would really encourage you, bring a Bible. It's kind of a big thing here. Um, it's just part of our church's values, uh, part of our rhythm. And we teach from it. I teach from it. I want you to learn to teach and study it. Okay. Find 2 Kings chapter 22. This is the story of a king named Josiah. And as I had said, Josiah has a heavy, heavy history in his left hand. The voices of his father and that idolatry, the voices and the habits and the culture created by his grandfather and the destruction that that yielded. And here he is, a very young boy who's being set upon a path. Will he follow down that path? Will the years ahead of him be as dark and as evil as the years behind him? Can God give him something that would make a difference? Let's start reading. This is 2 Kings 22. 
2 Kings 22, I'm going to read verse 1 and then verse 2. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. Verse 2, look at this. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in all the ways of David, his father. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And you're like, hold on a second. You just said he had a bad dad. And the Bible just said he had a good dad. When the Bible says he walked in the ways of his father, David, that's the Bible's way of saying he walked the right path. Like David, his ancestor who had come before him. It's not that David is his father. It's he's walking in the line of that spiritual righteousness of chasing after God with all of his heart. Because what was David known for? Oh, he is a man after my own heart. And so sometimes as you go through books like 1 Kings and 2 Kings and Chronicles, you'll see, and he walked in the ways of his father, David. That's a way of the Bible saying he did good. He did right. He walked correctly. Sometimes the Bible says, and he walked in the ways of his father, Ahab. That's a way of the Bible saying, not so good. Not so good. But here's a man, despite everything that happened to him, despite of his past and his father and his grandfather and a culture of idolatry and sin and demonism and spiritual darkness, despite of everything in his left hand, the Bible says he did what was right. What is it that God gave him that made such a difference in his future that I think will transform our fellowship, the Miami Valley, the marriage you gave up on, the kids you don't understand. What is it right here? Shall we keep reading? It says in verse three, in the 18th year of King Josiah, that means after he's been reigning for 18 years, he's about 26 years old, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, look at verse 4. Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people, and let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That's carpenters, the builders, masons. And let them use it for buying timber, quarried stone to repair the house. And no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. So Josiah is at a time in the history of God's people where the temple had been forgotten. Generations of false gods and altars and idolatry and, and false priests. At one point, the, the temple was the pinnacle of architecture in the ancient Near East. It's marble and it's gold glittering in the morning sun, shining all around the mountains. You would have seen it for miles and miles off. This is the center of worship and praise and prayer and education. This is where God had said, I will put my throne on earth. This is where I am. This is me occupying your space here in the temple. 
shortly after King David through the ministry and the reign of Solomon and all the kings that came after, the nation divided and spilled quickly into idolatry and perversion. All the things that you see today on the news, all the things that you read about on Facebook, all the things that you've started to become numb to already. This nation cascaded and cascaded and the temple fell into ill repair. You can maybe imagine this beautiful, beautiful cathedral if you need some help to imagine it. And the doors are falling off the hinges and the windows are broken and the bars are up and things are boarded over and it's full of cobwebs and it's full of animals that don't belong and things have gotten dusty and things have gotten moved around because now it's not a worship space, it's a storage space. And Josiah says, we need to invest in this. Let's take our resources, let's take our money, our artisans, our time. Let's pour, let's invest in our faith. Maybe that's something that'd be helpful to write down. Maybe that's an insight that'd be helpful for you. Good rulers invest in their faith. Good ruler will invest in their faith. I'm a big, big fan of writing things down. I don't remember things too well. So I have to write things down. Invest means I take a smaller thing, planting, planning on receiving a greater thing. Right? Some of you invest in stock market, money, mutuals. Some of, you, some of you are able to do those things. And so what's your plan is? Well, my plan is I'm going to invest this dollar amount so that I could get that dollar amount. We call that a good investment, right? I'm going to put in this thinking and planning and hoping that I will get this in return. We would call that a good investment, a good investment. You can make good investments, you can make bad investments. What's a bad investment? Well, a bad investment is I put in this and I got that. That would be a bad investment. How many of you have gone to a restaurant and it was a bad investment? Right? I know. Like you were told, oh, you need to go here. The service is amazing. This entree is so good. And it's a little bit, but you're like, we'll save up. And we got a, we got a coupon book for Christmas. And we're going we're gonna to go to this amazing and we're going to, we pay this. And we got... What was that? We would call that a bad investment. Josiah says, we're going to invest. We're going to invest our money, our time, our resources, and we're going to pour it into our faith. Wise investment, a poor investment. My wife, who is the spirit of Christmas in our home, um, if it weren't for her, Christmas would be a very, very dark place in my house just because I'm a very dark person. And she's thinking through, hey, here's a great idea for gifts. What do you think about this idea for gifts? And what do you think about this idea for gifts? And she says, hey, what do you think about this idea for a gift? And I'm like, whatever. I think it's dumb, but I'm not going to say that because I just like, why would they like that? We're going through the gifts and we're unwrapping gifts and we come to that gift. I have three teenage boys. They're teenagers, okay? 
One of them drives. Got a couple in high school. That's, that's, that's the age bracket. She got them one of their childhood toys, Beyblades. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. Some of you are in the house. Okay, you're like, what's a Beyblade? It's like a, a top on crack, okay? It's, a, it's this top, this battling top that's made out of metal, and you spin it, and your opponent spins it, and they battle against each other in this arena. The kids would play it for nonstop when they were four, five, and six. Surely they're going to think that's dumb. What a bad investment. They went nuts. This is awesome. Beyblades. They're like, look at mine. Look at mine. Look at mine. They think they're four or five again. They're like grabbing pots and pans and they're battling and yelling at each other and they're zipping and crushing. Good investment. Good investment. She put in this. We got this and Christmas joy out of it. I was amazed. I was amazed. I was like, didn't have to spend on that. Could have just spent on that. Yeah, good investment. Good investment. A good leader, a good ruler invests in his faith. And you're saying, I'm not a leader. I'm not a ruler. I'm not a ruler. I don't rule anything. I'm not a king. I don't have a kingdom. Oh, man or woman, you are a king, you are a queen. Everyone. Everyone is at least the ruler of their life. Everyone, at least, is gifted by God the responsibility to tend to their own life, to make it, to keep it, to rule it, to keep it well. The writer of Proverbs said, like a city without a wall is a man without self-control. You are a ruler and a good ruler invests in their faith. Let's keep reading. Because God's setting them up for something. So this, this renewal process begins. This project of restoring and pouring into the faith. Because the temple is the center of their faith. How they walk with God. Where they pray. Where they worship. How they sing. What they know. In verse 8, in 2 Kings 22, verse 8, And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, that's the king's right-hand man, Hey, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and then he read it. Shaphan the secretary came to the king. He reported to the king, Hey, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. This renewal project has happened. The priests are working through the holies and the holy of holies. They're dusting, they're sweeping, they're wiping down, they're picking up tables that had gotten knocked off. They're, they're repolishing the, the, the silverware. They're repolishing the bowls. They're relighting the fires and the candles. And the high priest, maybe he's working through one of the storage areas and he comes to a box and blows off all the dust. You can imagine years and decades of accumulation. The cobwebs. And he finds something. And he knows well what it is. 
It's the scrolls. It's the book of the law. It's Genesis. It's Exodus. It's Leviticus. It's Numbers. It's Deuteronomy. Maybe he starts to weep. Silently, he's waited who knows how long for this moment. He knows how precious these scrolls are. And he knows maybe this is the king who will do something with them. So not to presume, he goes to the secretary and he says, I've found the book of the law. And the secretary, he's not quite sure. He just calls it a book, right? The priest says, it's the book. And he's like, it's a book. But the high priest thinks you should have it. Huh? Secretary's kind of gone through. It's like, you know, I think this is probably pre-legitimate. This kind of, there's our history in here. There's some pretty weighty commandments and expectations in here. He brings it to the king. Here's another insight, maybe something that will be helpful for you to write down. Invest in your faith and the high priest will bring you a book. You start to invest in your faith and the high priest is going to bring you a book. The secretary sits there with the scrolls. He begins to read through them. The story of Moses, Abraham, the story of Jacob and Isaac, how the people ended up in Egypt, how the people fell underneath a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph, how the people cried out and God heard their cry and sent Moses to Egypt to set the people free. The king began to hear about what Passover is. And God's deliverance. He read about going through the Red Sea and coming to the mountain. This covenantal moment. Here he is surrounded in this polytheistic, idolatrous, satanic culture. And he hears things. You shall have no other God but me. I'm the one who sets you free. How many of you heard that before? Have you heard that before? You shall carry my name well. Practice my rest. Honor the story of your parents. Don't kill each other. You'd think you don't have to say it. Tell the truth. Honor your promise. And all of a sudden, the king is overwhelmed. He's going through the books and the secretary continues to read. They're burning through the night. They're burning through the morning. They're burning through the night. Getting to the end of books like Deuteronomy, it says, and if you keep these words, you will dwell well in the land. And I will bless you and I will bless your people if you do not keep the words in this book. You will go into exile and you will be under curse. And here's Josiah. He's seen what had happened to the northern part of the country, the northern part of Israel, because Assyria came in, swooped him right up, and they were no more. Just like God said. And he sees his people doing exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Here he is with this left hand. 
full of treachery and deceit. And then all of a sudden, into his right hand, God puts a book. God puts a book. There's a couple of things, a few things that you need to know about this book. Okay? This is a, a Bible. Fancy red cover. I picked this one out of my library because it looks like a Bible. This was given to me by my mom and my dad. This one was, uh, they dated them. My dad gave me lots of Bibles. This is from 1988. Okay, this book. There's a few things you need to know about this. One of the things that this book is going to do, it's going to prompt you to repentance. Might want to write that down. It's going to prompt you to repentance. What's repentance? Repentance is a change of thinking and action that brings you closer to God. Okay? Repentance is a change of thinking and acting. Those two have to go together. Okay? If there's no acting part, then you probably didn't think about it very much. A change of thinking and acting that's going to bring you back to God. Because look what happens as the secretary merely reads the king this book. Okay? Verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He's grieved. He's struck to the core. He knows how he and the people stand before the holiness of God. He knows what they've forsaken and they've forgotten. He knows how far off they have come as a people. And he is grieved over it. Because what this book does, how the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you through this book, is it starts to shift and confound your thinking and your acting so that you do things differently. You need to know that. If you want to pursue down the path of the left hand, please don't pick up this book. Because this book will jack you up in all the right ways. He wrestles with this so much, he sends his experts. He says, hey, there's gotta be a prophetess. You need to go talk to her and find out, are we really under everything that's in this book? Is this really true? I've been reading through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. Are these things really gonna happen? The prophetess is like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, king, you will not see it. You will live in peace because how you have turned with your whole heart. And so one of the things that he does, another way just to understand repentance, if you look at chapter 23 and look at verse 3, this is more underneath repentance. 2 Kings 23 verse 3. Repentance, remember it's thinking and it's acting. And the king stood by the pillar the place where they make announcements. And made a covenant, that's a promise, before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And all the people joined in the covenant. The king stands up before everybody. He stands up there in front of his cabinet, in front of his military officials. He stands up there in front of all of his relatives and says, listen, I'm doing this. This is me. With all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. I'm going to do everything that's in this book. That's what I'm doing. 
I'm covenanting. I'm making a declaration to God. I'm, I'm writing my name down. I'm making it official. I'm making it real. God has put this in my hand. And I will do this. And the people joined him. That's a turn. That's repentance. One of the things that this book does is it prompts repentance. Something else that this book does, you need to know, it starts to remove things from your life. It starts to remove things from your life. Because of what he reads in the book, Josiah starts to go through and he sees the commandments about idolatry and false worship. How God is the only God and we're supposed to chase after him. So he goes through the whole nation and begins this whole spring cleaning. He tears down idols and he tears down false um, altars that are on the high places. He has the false priests executed and their bodies burned and their bones scattered. From the top of the nation to the bottom of the nation, all over the place, he works his way through the whole thing because the book has him start to remove things that do not belong the garbage that should not be a part of the journey. Generations of evil are undone. Did you know that's possible? Did you know that by the graciousness of God, generations of evil can be undone? It says in chapter 23 that he starts tearing down the structures of idolatry and demonism that Solomon had built. And the evil king Jeroboam at the beginning of Israel's falling. Generations ago, he's undoing all of it. He's taking it all down. The things that you thought were permanently scarred and etched into your left hand. This book says, watch this. Watch this. As it begins to remove things, pull things out, take things away. Not just removing things, it really likes to restore things too. Maybe that's a word to write down, restore. It likes to restore things. He goes through the book and he goes through Genesis and he reads through Exodus and he comes upon the story of the deliverance and how God gave to Israel the night of Passover and how to remember Passover and the night of their deliverance, how to celebrate it on an annual basis. He's like, I've never seen Passover. We've never done Passover before. We're supposed to do Passover. He calls the whole nation to worship. He calls the whole nation to this holy day. And they celebrate the story of their deliverance anew, afresh, as the lamb is sacrificed and the blood is spilt. And they remember the meal as the book restores the story of freedom to them. Mm. Mm. It's one of the things that the book does. It puts the pieces back together again. Did you get those words? Repentance and removal and restoring. Because of this life of renewal, we're given a eulogy to Josiah at the end. What kind of eulogy do you want? I'm not planning ahead. 
Just wondering, what do you want said? What do you want me to say? What kind of life do you want to live? I think that's a great question. This is what was said of King Josiah. This is chapter 23, verse 25. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. According to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Never before was there a husband like him. Never before was there a husband after. Never before her was there a mother like her. Never after was there been a mother since. What kind of things do you want said? That's what this book does. By the grace of God, by the power of God, by the Spirit of God. It takes a man who is given a hideous left hand. Today some would live that up like there's no victim before, no victim after. He said, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not that. Because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob put a book in his hand. How do you do that, though? You guys knew. You guys knew what this sermon was about. So you just saw the title, right? You've been with me for seven years, some of you. You're like, oh, book, Bible, it's Paul. That's what he's going to talk about. Paul's going to talk about, but January 1, I'm going to talk about reading the Bible. Nothing new, right? How many of you know that you should read the Bible? Yeah, Daniel's like, knew it. Yep, absolutely. Just wasted 40 minutes of my life. I could have been home sleeping now. If you just would have told us to read, you could have done that in a tweet, Paul. Yeah, but what if we actually did it? What if this year we actually did it? What if this year we actually read the Bible? Take out the notes that you received when you walked in. The actual it says, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Open up to the inside. We've changed it a little bit to help get us off on the right foot. Because your high priest, believe it or not, has put a book in your hands. Jesus Christ has said, if you're going to invest in your faith, here, let me give you something. In the center, the section in here that says, HRF Scripture Reading Calendar. I'm inviting the whole church family to read with me through the Bible this year. All together, all at the same pace. Many of you have come up to me at various times throughout the last few years when I started doing reading prompts, saying how helpful that is for you. Hell, Paul, when you tell me, hey, Monday I read this, Tuesday I read this, Wednesday, that's awesome, I love that, keep doing that. I said, well, what if we read through the Bible? All of us, the same. Life group leaders reading the same thing that life group members were reading. Ministry team leaders reading the same thing that ministry team members were reading. People on that side of the church and that side of the church all reading the same thing. Now, if you, maybe you have a very strict, arduous reading plan that you follow and you've always planned. That's fine. I'm not. It's all good. It's all good. Mine's better. Um, no. But listen, there's some advantages to what I'm inviting us to this year. The whole church would be reading through the Bible in an orderly way. Some of you have read through the whole Bible. Some of you have never read through the whole Bible. Never. 
We're going to read through the whole Bible. You're going to go through the New Testament twice. You're going to go through the book of Psalms twice. Okay? Another advantage. You don't have to guess what to read in the morning. And you know that what you're reading, everybody else in your church family is reading that day too. Parents, here's a guide. Here's a guide how to walk with your kids in devotions in a quiet time. How to immerse them in the story. How to not do to your kids what Josiah's dad and grandfather did to him. How to start your kids off right. Okay? We can have meaningful conversations about these things. Instead of talking out there over donuts about what the score was to the game, which is fine, we could talk about what we read in Scripture that morning or the day before. We get together with a friend for coffee. Hey, what did you think of this morning's reading? Hey, what did you think about what we read on Wednesday? Imagine the opportunity to press into Scripture together and the shift that will begin to happen in our conversations. So how are we going to do it? If you look at the connection card that you normally tear off, I've already torn mine off. You can tear yours off too. Tear, 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 tear. Tear right off. Tear it off. It's perforated. Trust me. Okay, trust me. Right down the center of this, okay, is the days of the month date from January 1 all the way down. It stops at 29. Paul, you don't know how many days are in January. Well, after that fifth Sunday, we're going to shift everything up so that you always have a fresh calendar to look at. So when January is over, we're going to bump all this stuff up and you're going to start the next Sunday. So you will always have a full week's worth of reading. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's the date. And then next to that are two columns. One says family and one says personal. You can see that for today, at some point today, I would like you to read Genesis 1, Matthew 1, Ezra 1, Acts 1, okay? Genesis chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, Ezra chapter 1, book of Acts chapter 1. It takes about 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes to read through four chapters of Scripture. Now, let's say you're a head of a household or you're married and you would like to create a more devotional moment for your kids or your spouse, okay? Consider first the family column. Read those two chapters with your family. Ahead of time, I would encourage you, head of the household, read through Genesis 1 and Matthew 1 ahead of time, and maybe you're going to land on a couple verses that speak to you and where your family's at, and then you want to draw attention to then when you have that devotional time, zero in on those two verses. Ask them some questions. I included the questions. Same Advent questions that you got. Hey, what does this teach us about God? Let people respond. No, oh, you're not going to eat until you answer the question. Hey, how can we be thankful because of that? What does this teach us about ourselves? How can this prompt us to pray for the day ahead? Okay. Sharing some quiet time together. What that would look like in my family rhythm is that at 6.30, the boys, my gentlemen, meet me at the dining room table at 6.30 each morning. They have their Bibles. I have mine. We're going to read that chapter. We're going to read that chapter. We're going to talk about it. Okay. Then throughout the course of the day, I would, might read the other two chapters at another time. 
Now, if you don't want to do the family part, you don't have to do just your quiet time, read those four chapters. Okay? Your quiet time, you read those four chapters. Ask yourself those questions. Let it be a moment of reflection. Maybe share something with a spiritual friend or a mentor. Hey, I did the reading this morning. What did you think about when it said this? What did you think about when it said that? Oh, I loved it when it said that. Oh, I'm struggling with this. I got to write Pastor Paul. I'm not sure what that means. What's going to happen if you get behind? How many of you have started reading through the Bible and quit? Own it. I love you guys. Own it. Rest of you, whatever. <laughs> you did. You started strong, man. You were hitting Genesis, and then you're going like, boom, we're doing it, we're doing it. And Leviticus, and you're like, hmm. And like, got Deuteronomy, and Numbers, and like, Song of Solomon, that's weird. And, and then at some point, you're like, uh, you get off on your plan. So two things happen. First thing that happens for some people is you just quit. You can't keep up, so you just quit. You got to get your Walmart click list together anyways. The second option is you try to catch up, and then you quit, right? So this is my advice. Let's say Pastor Paul lays out this amazing hermeneutical, homiletical message about the priority of reading Scripture in the first Sunday of the year, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And the next Sunday rolls around, and you're like, Snap. I didn't do my reading. I got to read 28 chapters? No. Start with today. What today's readings are, read those today. So if you forget and you, the eighth rolls around next week and you're like, start there. Start there. Okay? Let, let, let. Let, don't let that set you up. Set out a time. In our family, there's a time. The men know they get to the table at this time. 6.30, we come to the table with our Bibles. We're going to read. If this is as mighty as it says and history testifies to, in undoing all that this is, put it on the calendar. Give yourself an app. Make it a reminder. I'm going to read my chapters. Our chapters. Knowing that in concert we're reading it together. Tip. Let it spark conversation. If you're texting each other, just get in the habit. Give yourself some accountability. What would you think of the reading? Ask the Holy Spirit to bless you as you're reading it. When you come to the end of the reading, pray the Lord's Prayer and ask that the Lord would immerse this reading into your soul. Everyone tear it off? Got it torn off? Take your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1. Okay? Put it right there. There's your bookmark. Okay? There's your bookmark. See, Danielle, told you to trust me. I apologize. We're going to come to the Lord's table where we remember he who is our daily bread. But let's, let's learn to feast on the written word, too. 
The psalm that we read in the very beginning, isn't it interesting? This is the first psalm of the Psalter. The very first one. The Psalter is the hymn book, the worship book, the prayer guide for God's people. And the very first song you would think would be pretty important, right? That kind of set the tone for all that comes after it. And what does it say? Blessed is the man, woman. Does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on that law he meditates day and night. This is a habit that will change your life. This is a kingdom habit through which God will put the pieces together. You'll be amazed at what happens looking back this time next year. Christmas morning before we came to church, that was awesome. Wasn't that a good time? The brunch and all, that was legit. Worship, guys, that was songs you put together. That was, that was so cool. We gave gifts. We gave a few gifts. Wife and I said we'd given some, give each other some gifts. I got her some socks. Um, and other stuff. I was just kidding. She gives me a big box. She puts this box in my lap. I'm like, this thing is socks. And I've, I've spoken and taught on these things before. I never thought I'd actually hold one in my hand, though. The Japanese pottery custom of taking broken pottery and putting it back together with gold inlay so that what's created by the artist in afterwards is more beautiful than what it was before. I'm just bawling my eyes out, right? I'm just like weeping. This beautiful thing is here, right? And I've never thought that I'd just, I look over and she's like, I win. <laughs> I'm like, you win, here's your socks. <laughs> that's, that's what he wants to do. The gold inlay of the scripture, taking the broken pieces of our souls and wetting them back together again so that we are more beautiful than we had ever been before. Let's do it together. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our Hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instruction.